You're listening to the Geek Out Loud podcast, the official podcast of geekoutonline.com. Finger pointing gets us nowhere, Steve! Steve! Grab your sleeping bags and your Pop-Tarts, because it's time for... No one could have seen that coming. Definitely is overall sense of humor, his demeanor, he just, he has this amazing sense of uh, everything. You, you can't pinpoint it with Steve, because he's always he's this happy-go-lucky guy, and nothing gets him down. Steve! Me gustan mucho los animales. I like animals. this episode of geek out loud or whatever this is going to end up being we're just going to have a good time i have no idea what we're going to talk about and uh, this is why we're going to end up on that show podcast impossible it's your safe place to geek out everyone and welcome to Geek Out Loud. This is your official podcast of geekoutonline.com or this is your safe place to geek out. It's uh it's the fun zone. It's uh, it's you know, it's it's many things. My name is Steve Glosson. So glad, so glad, so glad to be along with you. <clears throat> is that how that goes in that song? Sweet Caroline. Ba, ba, ba. Good times never seem so good. So good. So good. So good. That's what it is. Not so glad. <laughs> good times never seem so glad. So glad. So glad. So glad. However, given the... Remember the old trends of commercials that would take like existing songs and do like parodies of them for their products? I'm sure they had to get like approval and pay for the song and that sort of thing. Um but that'd be a great one for like glad trash bags, you know. Um, big smelly mess. Bam, bam, bam. We will hold you in our glad. So glad, so glad, so glad. I don't know. Um, but there, that used that was a thing. I don't know if it's still a thing because 
you know, the days of digital television and everything, who watches live TV anymore? Um, but used to, you know, there was the, the, that's what they would do. There was, um, there was a fabric softener. I think it was Bounce that used like, so jump for my love. Maybe it was, maybe Bounce, uh, (laughs) and now we're Googling Bounce fabric softener ads from the eighties. Bounce softener ad eighties. I believe it was. So bounce down, down, down. Oh, my love. Bounce in. I don't know, though. Y'all remember that song, Jump? I, I don't know who sang it. It might have been the Pointer Sisters, but that's probably wrong. Jump in. Um, eh, jump down, 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 for my love. Is it Jump for my love? I don't know. Now I am looking for... Um, Mm-mm, that's not right. Oh, it is the Pointer Sisters. I was right. Here we go. Let's give it a little bit of listen here if we can. It'll play for us. Will you play? Yeah, it will. How about a little volume there? Oh, I mean, if this don't take you back, if this doesn't put you in 80s mood, I don't know what will. Lisa Cypher in the house. She's got me tonight on the music. Here we go. Okay. I'm just going to let it go till we get the chorus. That's what we got to do. We got to get through the hook, everybody. Come on. Listen, this is not a safe place to hate on the Pointer Sisters. Here we go. Everybody. Jump in. So, yes, as I was listening to this, I did find, um, and by the way, let's see, who is it in the chat has got us, got us hooked up? Brian Kent says, Craig Robinson has one of those types of commercials right now um, for gain. But I did indeed find the, uh, the, the commercial from back in the day. Obviously, this will sound like an 80s commercial. It'll sound like it's on someone's old VCR player. So, you know, bear with it. When towels spill the sauce, she spills See, it fresh. there it is. And there's no cling to most anything. You've got bounce clothes. No other shoe can wait to jump in. Now, at one point, it looked like, I'm sorry, I backed it up to see what was going on there. At one point, it looked like there was a little girl like in a Princess Leia outfit, but it was not. This is from 1985. A lot of people jumping, flipping. Look, did you hear that woman hit that note? Now that I don't think that was the actual Pointer Sisters singing there at all, but did you hear 
that woman hit that note. There was a time, ladies and gentlemen, and for our younger audience, I want you to know, like nowadays, you know, you have some cutesy little intros here and there, but by and large, intros to television shows and commercial jingles have kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, we have gone for more like comedy type things, which is great. You know, it, it's fine. I, I like the, uh, the all state mayhem guy, you know, uh, I'm a speed bump or, um, I'm the latest TikTok trend and, and that's, but, but you, you, they go for a lot more, um, comedy kind of, you know, red, repetitive kind of things to make you remember back in the day, man, people went for it. Like this was their big break. I'm, I'm singing the jingle in a, in an eighties commercial. I will, uh, I'm going to give it everything I got. And that lady did. And it was the same way with, um, w with, with television intros and stuff like for, to TV shows and everything. If there was a song to be sung as an intro, uh, it, it was good. And I'll take you to one of the biggest of all times. Um, you go to the golden girls and if you threw a party, you know, I mean like they give it, they put it out there and, uh, Oh, look, it, is there any greater example of a group of people putting it out there for a television intro theme than, ladies and gentlemen, the Jeffersons. Because, um, uh, well, let's just find it here. Because I don't, I, I, I forget how it goes. There it is. To a deluxe apartment in the sky. Now break it down. Here they go back to break it down. You ready? Fish don't fry in the kitchen. Beans don't burn on the grill. Took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. Now we're up in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Guns, we're moving on up. Listen, that song is so good, and it's so, I mean, it's the whole choir experience and everything. Um, there was a great bit on, I think it was King of Queens, and Kevin James uh, was having a dream where he was, like, leading a choir. <laughs> and he was leading them <laughs> in the Jefferson's theme song, and it was it was pretty awesome. Uh, it, was, it was good stuff. Um, anyway... Um, and so, but my point is this, 80s people used to go for it all the time. So let's, let's see what's happening here on the, uh, this is King of Queens. Well, this is him dreaming he's going into a party. There it is. Now we're in church, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. He ruined it. Anyway, so that look, my back to my point. My point is great 
great television show intros are few and far between these days. And there was a time when whoever was singing those things, whether it be the, the TV intros, the jingles of the day, they gave it everything they had. And we were a better society for it. Um, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna, we're not gonna go down that road quite yet, but, uh, but we'll get there before we do want to thank our Patreon supporters, every single one of you who help us out on Patreon. Uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate your support. And, uh, we, we thank you for being so kind to us when we are not as kind to you. Um, our featured supporter this week is Nathan Andrus. Nathan has the ability to manipulate his own density. This means he can become indestructible and harder than any diamond or steel. Harder than adamantium, y'all. Or he can become intangible. Where he likes to hang is that place right in the middle because though evil fears him, he's just a big soft teddy bear. Just ask his kids. They love the guy. That's Nathan Andrus, our featured supporter on this episode of Geek Out Loud. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash geekoutloud. If you so choose, what are some things that are coming up on the Patreon? Dave Jones and I will be sitting down to watch... Uh, Batman Forever. In wake of the latest Batman movie that has been released with Robert Pattinson assuaging the role, or as assuming the role, I should say, of uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Spoiler alert, they're the same person. Um, we will be watching Batman Forever. Uh, the much maligned Batman Forever. And then um, we will also be, hopefully, this this month... Uh, though there's only nine days left, um, I, I'm doing. It's going to be released on Patreon first, and then we'll put it out on the Rock Out Loud feed. I'm I've got the script almost written, and yeah, it's it's a script. I'm doing it different than I've done any podcast uh, before that I've ever done. We're calling it Petra Means Rock Out Loud, and we're going to begin walking through the discography of my favorite Christian rock band of all time, Petra. And we begin with the self-titled album Petra from 1974. And that is, uh, it, it's a far cry from where we'll end up, but we must start there. We must begin in that place and, and move forward. So I hope to get that done uh, this week as well as, uh, or this month before time's out, as well as to begin the series on Patreon that we're going to call um, Flip the Car, the uh, an Incredible Hulk retrospective. So we'll be watching Incredible Hulk episodes. We won't be doing commentary per se, but just be talking about those things. So... Um, those are, that's what to look forward to on the Patreon as far as, uh, extra content goes and, uh, and, and what's coming up hopefully by the end of this month, we're working on, on getting those things out there. I usually don't like to say that kind of stuff because doing so ends up, it gives you the feeling of, well, I've already told him, so I must have accomplished the goal and I'm bad to, to mess up. Y'all know that. So anyhow, in fact, this is something I was thinking about before I came on TV. I have now gotten caught up into a cycle of, watching Saturday television, what would be normally be Saturday binge television for me, I'm, I'm kind of watching on a daily basis now. What do I mean by Saturday binge television? In that time of, of year when there's not college football on and there's really not much on to watch on a Saturday afternoon, um, I find myself, as we all did back in the days when we all had just regular old cable TV, you know, the, there were these channels that would just play the same show, different episodes of the same show over and over again. And I don't mean like, you know, a Smallville marathon. I'm not talking about an intentional like marathon. I'm not talking about the Sci-Fi Channel or USA doing a marathon of the Twilight Zone. I'm talking about Food Network showing Chopped 
you know, like 30 times in the afternoon. And before you know it, you're sucked in because you got to see what's in the next next basket. Well, this is the kind of stuff I've been sucked into. One of thing, one of those things being uh, a Food Network show. In fact, Restaurant Impossible. Now, listen, I watched Restaurant Impossible, you know, a while back, and it was kind of one of those. It was it's a Saturday watching thing for me, where like two or three episodes come on after one after the other, and I just get sucked in and just start. Well, how's he going to save this restaurant? Well, there's no way, Robert Irvine. How will his tough but compassionate love save this restaurant? Because how will the scary man who's actually got a heart of gold save these people now? And I realize we probably need, for Geek Out Loud, Podcast Impossible. At first, I thought I could host a show called Podcast Impossible where I go in and be like, uh, show me your service. Show me your podcast. Let's sit down and really get into it and then start telling them all the things they're doing wrong. And then by the end of two days, uh, give them a whole new lease on life, a whole new podcast, you know, and um, and really, you know, leave them better than I found them. You know, save their family, save their marriage, save uh, their their relationships with their best friends and buddies that they podcast with. And um, and then go. then I realized I'm like, no, I'm the one who's probably in need of a podcast impossible, you know, because it, it, let's say the host, whoever the host may be of podcast impossible comes in and he's like, show me your most recent releases. And I'm like, okay. And so I pull out, uh, I pull out the, the, the list of the shows and you see though there hasn't been a geek out loud release since, Oh, I don't know what last month. And he's like, now you know, this will work better if it's a weekly show. And, and, and when was your last Geek Out Loud before that? And I'm like, oh, well, uh, that would have been two months prior. How can you keep doing a podcast? You, this isn't a podcast. This is just something you sit down and do every now and again. Why in the world would you call this a podcast? It doesn't even happen on a regular basis. Well, what was before that? Well, that was October. And then what was, well, I had several in October because we were doing a show on, on, on the YouTube Really? And then what happens when you are just by yourself again? Oh, it's every, you know, eight weeks to 10 weeks. And then he's like flipping computers and flipping desks and everything. And, and he's like, how can you say you have a podcast when you don't really have a podcast? You know, you, you went from having this great network to absolutely letting things just pass by right under your nose. You didn't back up properly. You didn't. And before you know it, you've just had what's going on. What's the problem? And then before you, I'm crying, my wife is crying. Her dog is crying. You know, we're just all crying about, you know, the failure of the podcast and, and, and all this stuff. And then, and then he sits and he says, I want to help you find yourself. And then we can work on the podcast because from what I've heard, you do an okay job. I just want to make it that much better. That's my Robert Irvine impersonation, by the way. I don't have the the accent down, but the cadence is there, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, so, so that's so yeah. So you know, then we're doing. You know, he's like, all right, now here's the big moment. We're going live. We're doing the live podcast. We've got cameras set up. We've got the logo on him. We've got the, the room where he podcasts clean. He's ready to go. And now it's all up to him. And then the music hits and, and we're on. And then, and, you know, and then he's over on the background while I'm trying to talk. And he's like, uh, 
When we came here, we had a man who we met Steve, who was not consistent at all in the way he podcasted, kept his Patreon up, had served his community, served his listeners. Now we've given Steve and his entire family a new lease on life, and he's ready to podcast to infinity and beyond, Steve. And I turn around like, hey, I'm trying to podcast here. And, and that's how the show ends. Sometimes you think a bit may go somewhere and it doesn't. Let's jump into the mailbag. How about that? We got some emails. Let's jump into them. We got a little feedback after our last episode where we had uh, I'm Garrison Rifen, uh, Michael High Nip was on, I believe David Dollar stopped by, Teresa might have called in. I, there was all kinds of people on the show. Um, I did that thing that I, what happened to me is what happens to other people when I'm on their show uh, and they completely got rolled over and, and, and derailed, or, or I did. Uh, speaking of being on other people's show, I would encourage you all to check out the Rule the Galaxy podcast. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you listen to listens, listen to podcast. And um, and and I'm on this. I'm on the most recent episode with Scott Rifen, Adam Bray, and of course the host uh, Joseph Marinero, Marinera. Joey Marinera, as we like to call him. Not we didn't like to call him that, but we do now. And basically, uh, we try to um, ruin. Uh, we don't try to, but it does kind of end up happening in that we ruin the show. Now, our first email comes from Jared Pryor. Jared, longtime listener, longtime supporter of the Geek Out Loud. In fact, I found a letter that was included in a geek care package that Jared sent to me a while ago uh, the other day when I was cleaning some things out. I, I held on to it because I was so appreciative. Uh, of that, Jared, still am to this day. Uh, Megatron adorns the the shelf space uh, behind me. I may actually pull him out of the box and and set him up um, on on a little transformer shelf I got going here behind me. But he said because we were talking about the the Boba Fett um, theme song, which is basically hum de dum do da da hum de dum do da da hum da da do hum de da da do. And he said, this is where it comes from. It comes from a Swedish movie called Ronia, the robber's daughter. And there's no doubt, he says, that Ludwig borrowed from this. And then he says, enjoy. And I don't know that I will, but here we go. Let's listen. Oh, this is like in movie. This isn't like... It is the Book of Boba Fett, by the way. They're singing Boraka, Boraka. All right. And here is... <laughs> It's the exact same thing. I'm sorry. 
Boba Fett. Fett. Listen, I, I, I go back to, for all the things that people had wrong with Boba Fett, and, and, and I don't think that I am as critical of the show as many people are. I have my critiques and stuff. But look, by the by that last episode, you've got uh you you've got baby Yoda, you know, running through the streets with the people or you know, and, and you've got Boba Fett himself riding a Rancor. Um you, you know, you you've got this incredible Wookiee, this this Black Crest Stan or whatever Brian Cranston, whatever his name is, um, doing his thing. And and it just it's a great it, it was a great finale and it, it was a decent show. But I, I do feel like that the the music. I'm sorry, the music that that was all. The music was wrong there. That theme was was all wrong for for Book of Boba Fett. But thank you, Jared, for that. It definitely does. It does seem like Ludwig was uh, going back to his Swedish cinema. I went back to the Swedish cinema and found something that I like, and and did that. Uh, Lisa Cipher says. I just finished the latest episode. Love the reference to Laguna Beach Christian Retreat. I chaperone our youth group there many times for RYM summer conferences, and my brother lives in PCB, so I know it well. They've changed. I think they sold and they changed. I mean, it's still a Christian camp or whatever, but I think they've changed kind of even what they call it. But, man, I love that place. A lot of good memories through high school and then um, and then even as a youth pastor, loved it. So also appreciate the comparison of Lost in the Woods from Frozen 2 to Chicago. That was my first thought when hearing it, and there are plenty more things that prove the Goliverse folks are my people. Thanks for a great episode. Thank you, Lisa. I Yes, I remember when they were like, you know this song, you know this song. No, I don't, but I do know Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, and that song sounded like a, a Chicago song. So, in fact, we'll check it out again and, uh, and, and see exactly if we can pinpoint which Chicago sound song it sounded like to me or made me uh, think of. Um, can't find it. So <laughs> never mind. Hey, forget what I said because I'm not going to do that. Um Lost in the Woods, not into I was going into the woods. Lost in the Woods. By the way, anyone want to finish up Lost in Space? That ended up being a good little show, didn't it? Here we go. Let's... Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. That is, that is, that is right out of, um, right out of the Chicago playbook. So let's let's just come on down here, and I mean Chicago with uh, with Peter Cetera. Um, that is that is that is it. So and and really, it's honestly, uh, is it this one? Okay, y'all know it. Come on. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody needs a little time away. I heard her say from each other. Even lovers need a holiday. Far away. From each other, hold me now. 
It's hard for me to say I'm sorry I just want you to say I tell you what, uh, apparently Peter Cetera, jerk. Um, but still, you, you can't deny the goodness of that. Now, was it that or was it this? Was it... No, it was. it's more like hard to say I'm sorry. Now... I don't know. Maybe it's a little more you're the inspiration. You know our love was meant to be The kind of love to last forever And I want you here with me From tonight until the end of time I think, I think it could be either one. I think you could go, you're the inspiration, or hard to say I'm sorry. Either way... Into the Woods sounded like uh, both of them. Both of them, as it were. Um, so as we as we roll along here, I've, I've gotten derailed big time by a lot of this stuff. Oh, we're in the mail segment, aren't we? Um, so thank you, Lisa. Good to hear from you. And then finally, Justin Clark writes in with something a little more to get us on track. He says, hey, Steve. He says, how you doing, Steve? I wanted to drop you a line because I was listening to episode 278, Boba Fett, No Way Home, of Geek Out Loud, the official podcast of geekoutonline.com. When you were talking to I'm Garrison Rifen, you mentioned that you felt the cracks, quote-unquote, were starting to show in the MCU. I'm wondering if you were willing to expand on that. I will do that, Justin. Let's get through the rest of your uh, your email here. I have loved the MCU since the first Iron Man, except Iron Man 3. Open parentheses, not a fan, close parentheses. I didn't like how much he was out of the suit, and I had a bad taste in my mouth when I read an interview with Shane Black saying that to him... Iron Man is the last hero he would want in the Battle of New York because he only had his armor, but I digress. I've really enjoyed Phase 4, but it's not free of criticism. Black Widow was good, but four or five years too late, in my opinion. Shang-Chi was amazing. I can't say a bad thing about it. I love the look, the characters, and even the kaiju fight at the end. Even a great tease for the future and a bit of fun with the first post credit scene. I can't wait to find my Wong action figure and put him with my Shang-Chi and Katie figures. Maybe even find a karaoke accessory to go with them. Eternal's the first one that I was worried about for many reasons, but those reasons are not for Geek Out Loud. I walked away realizing that as a movie, I had some big issues. It was, it was too long, way too many characters, and the script could have used a few more passes. That said, I really enjoyed the characters and want to see them, see them go forward. Shout out to uh, Kingo and Faustus. Not sure if I spelled that right. Not sure if I said it right. Spider-Man No Way Home, you said all the great things about it, and I can't add anything. Getting into the Disney Plus series might be where you're coming from. I've really enjoyed them, but I do think they've gotten stuck in formula in a formula that worked very well with WandaVision. Best out of the lot, in my opinion, he says. Now I think it's holding them back. Hawkeye, I'm looking at you. Please don't get me wrong, though. I've enjoyed them, and I would rather watch a Marvel misstep than some other movies or shows giving it all they have. I hope this email doesn't come across as negative because I really do love the MCU. I do think they are in a learning period again, which is kind of cool if you think about it because they will try big things. And hey, we have so much right now that if it misses, we'll catch the next one. 
I'm really looking forward to Doctor Strange, and not because of all the things that might be there, but just but because I just love that character and want to see him go on more adventures. I'm also champing at the bit for Fantastic Four. I know you're with me there, sir. I hope the, we can get the cast announced soon. Is there anyone you have in mind for any of the roles? I won't lie. I'm on the John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic bandwagon. That is also making me want Rain Wilson as Victor Von Doom. Is he right for the character? No. But think of the fun that could be had with him when you flashback their college days and they first meet. Anyway, I've gone on long enough, and I want to give you a chance to respond. Stay geeky, my friend, and keep up the great work. I'll always be a fan. Nope, you're a listener. Uh, can you recommend some good reading on Marvel Unlimited? Let me hit that one first, sir. Um, any good reading on Marvel Unlimited? Well, the Marvel Unlimited app is... They they did one of those updates where they revamped everything that they didn't need to revamp, and it it's not as... It's it's a it's buggy again. It's, got, it's been buggy since the since the update. But also, they've added in so much junk to have to plow through because they're trying to be sharp. They're trying to put things up there they want everyone to read, and they're things that are, you know, kind of uh, uh, specific to uh, the um, that are specific to the uh, the app and that sort of thing. So they really want you to kind of get in on some of that, but. I will tell you, for my money, you can never go wrong with some of the great classic Marvel 2-in-1, Marvel team-up comics. Either one of those those deals will do. I have gone back all the way to the 1960s and have been reading through uh, from from the first issue of Fantastic Four and from issues of Journey into Mystery around the same time, and of course the Hulk and Tales to Astonish, and Strange Tales and X Men and and Iron and Tales of Suspense with Iron Man and Captain America and Avengers uh, and just kind of reading month by month of of those as well as uh, some more recent stuff. Um, I actually even have gone back through and read two big annual events that um, were were big when I first started collecting. One, the first one being the annuals that made up the Evolutionary War. Uh, story arc, and then the next one being the Atlantis Attacks from the very next year. Just had fun reading those, but I would suggest um, anything, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm kind of liking what they've been doing with Amazing Spider-Man, and uh, of course, you know, I'm going to suggest the Hulk, but I will tell you what, if you really want to have some fun reading the Hulk, um, I would say get started with because you can do all this on the Marvel Unlimited app, I would say get started with Hulk number uh, maybe 250. And, and look, you're going way back there. I know I'm taking you way, way back to to the Hulk. But just I would say, and here's why I'm saying do that, because honestly, you want to get a feel of the Hulk before everything starts to change and happen because they had settled in by the seventies, by the mid seventies, they had settled into um, kind of the the niche of who the Hulk was, how he talks, what what he's all about, you know, what his what his what what his mindset is, and that sort of thing. And there's some good stuff before two fifty. You've got the you can go to um, the introduction. You can go look to me. You can go as far back as two hundred and start to read forward, uh, because two hundred is just—it's one of those big issues has has just about everybody in it, and and there's you know the right amount of flashbacks and everything. Um, 
but I would I would say start somewhere in the in the mid to early two hundreds, and just start reading forward because what you're going to hit is you're going to hit eventually where Bruce Banner takes over for you know, he takes the driver's seat for the whole shebang, and and that starts a whole series of events that just plays out into um into Bruce losing control and then everything just spiraling out of control to you get to issue 300 and 301 and Dr. Strange is forced to basically banish the Hulk into the crossroads of infinity. And the whole idea is if we send him there, um, he, he won't be able to hurt anybody and he should just be able to kind of wander aimlessly and, and be okay. And, um, and so what happens is, is he comes back, of course, as, as you do. And, um, and, and, and he comes back really savagely. And then there's the whole splitting up and that leads in what, uh, what I'm getting to is, is that leads into the splitting up of Bruce and the Hulk completely, which leads to them realizing they can't be split up or they're dead. Um, which leads to the trying to push them back together, which leads to the gray Hulk, the gray smart Hulk. Which leads to all of the Mister, you know, Peter David's run, which starts around issue three thirty and goes until into the four hundreds, and it's a thirteen year run that Peter David did. And like love him or hate him as a person, Peter David's writing for the Hulk was really uh, outstanding. He took the Hulk on so many different paths, and and he's the reason that people think they like the Gray Hulk or they think they like Joe Fixit because. There were so he was really the Gray Hulk for several years, and he was smart, and he was, and he was a smart Alec, and he was, you know, he was able to engage in certain different ways, and and there was a time where they thought he was dead, but he wasn't, and and so whenever he would be discovered to be alive, um, you know, by some of our heroes, it was always an interesting thing, and and ultimately, you know, he he ends up you know, you, you get into the whole Green Hulk returns and why that happens and how you become Professor Hulk. And you're just off to the races at that point. Um, really you were off to the races back in the three hundreds. What happens while he's in the crossroads of infinity is, is you start to really dig into his psyche and really throughout some of those issues in, in the two hundreds, you really start to kind of dig into the Hulk psyche. And that kind of gives you an idea of, of, what set Peter David up to do what he did. So that's what I would suggest on the, on that. And then if you want to read planet Hulk, that's a good series to go to, which leads into world war Hulk, which is pretty cool. Um, there's some stuff that gets kind of convoluted there, but ultimately it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I've had fun going back, honestly, and reading these old from, from the sixties moving forward. Um, it, it, there are a lot of them are one-offs and that sort of thing. And then a lot of them are like soap operas, the stories may be self-contained, but there's stuff that continues on into the next issue and into the next issue. And, you know, and it's told in a 1960s into early 70s style storytelling. Uh, but it, but I think it'd be, it'd be worth your time. Uh, back to the other things. You want me to expound on the cracks um, that, are, that I think may be showing in MCU? Well, I think the cracks began to show uh, with Endgame, honestly. Um <clears throat> Uh, Tenton says the Maestro series is an easy read. That'd be good. Um, the the thing is, with the cracks that are showing, I, I think started with Endgame. When you kill off Tony and you 
and you, uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, get rid of Steve Rogers. Uh, look, we as fans and, and people as movie fans fell in love with these characters. So to take them completely off the table, because I think, I do think that the studio feels like there's no way we can recast these people. I also think there are other agendas at play. I really, truly do. Um, when you consider that we that that we had, gee whiz, how many years of Tony Stark Iron Man before Riri Williams comes into play? And now they're talking, well, here comes Riri Williams. we got to get her. How many years did we have Clint Barton as Hawkeye? Before Kate Bishop comes into play, well, now here she is after just a you know after just a handful of years and really not that much time spent with Clint. You know, um, when you talk about uh, even Captain America, how long did we have Steve Rogers before John Walker comes on the scene, before Sam Wilson, before Bucky becomes Cap? I mean, years upon years. And I know that you know there's tons of storytelling, but I just think that those characters still have a lot to offer and a lot to be bought into. And and people just, you know, in the studio, and, and obviously these actors don't want to continue to play them forever, and they can't. I get it. They're going to age out and that sort of thing. But it's time to start to do that thing where you establish we're going to, just much like a different artist or a different writer takes over a book now, a different actor is going to take on this character. And the things that... Robert Downey Jr. did to embody Tony Stark and Iron Man. Now someone else will kind of take that and run with it and do their version, and it'll be successful, or it may not. But that's where you have to trust your casting director and, and, and the people that are putting this film together to go after the best person for the role. This is where you start to now give young, unknown people kind of a bit of a chance to, to step into these roles and see what they can do. Um, or not so young and unknown, or maybe, you know, not so unknown, but, but give people a chance to try these things out and see what happens. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to do recasting. I, I just don't. Um, but that, that's neither here nor there. Everything that's come after, you know, if it's good for me, it's just been gravy. But there have been people who've kind of not enjoyed what's been on the TV series. I'm not in the, in the same camp. Um, I'm not in the same camp as some people who don't like a lot of stuff. I enjoyed WandaVision. The thing, I think the most successful thing about WandaVision was the unique way of storytelling, the mystery behind who's doing this, why are they in these TV shows, where's all this coming from. But by the time you get to the end, <clears throat> her origin and, and her reasoning for dipping into these TV shows seemed a little forced, and it seemed out of the blue because that's not something, the whole idea of... Even if we'd have in in um in Civil War, you know, if we had seen her actually sitting and watching an old sitcom or something, and they just sprung and they just used that little moment as a springboard to do this, I think you know it would have been a nice little bit of coherency. And I know that's you know playing armchair quarterback, and and I know they weren't planning on doing that when they did Civil War. My point is this that had the writers of war had her just sitting there and then the people who came along wanted to make WandaVision said, oh, remember when she was watching that little sitcom and she loved it? We should play off of that. Genius, you know, and kind of do that thing. Um, I think that um, that that would have made it, but it just seemed kind of out of the blue is what I'm saying, that that character development, and you've got, and sometimes character development does that. It comes out of the blue. 
let's not let, let's be honest about the uh, the the Pietro head fake, you know, the Quicksilver head fake where we brought in Quicksilver from the other universe and and come to find out he's just some dude. You know, that's fine. I get what they were doing, but at the same time, it it it's it was a little too much of a of a head fake, you know, that that really a lot of people, you know, were able to speculate, well, this is opening this door and that door. And it and it really was. It was a great way to open a door. But then I oh, just some dude, you know. Uh, I don't know that I like that. I, I don't know that I appreciated that. But I'm not, look, and I'm not bagging on WandaVision. I'm just saying that, at, that the success of that show really early on was um, uh, was was that. Chris Hansford said they show that in her backstory in the Stark bomb. No, no, I get that. I understand that. I'm just, I, I, I know where that, I, I, that's my point, though, is that piece of her backstory to me seemed kind of out of the blue and forced and for just a little bit of extra continuity if we would have seen her gravitating at any point in civil war uh or even in infinity war as comfort so um and so look neither here nor there my point is this i loved wandavision but i think the big success was the mystery of it all the intrigue of how this was happening and what was going on regardless of what you think of the end, the end battle, you know, was the end battle and it was good and it was, and it was fun. And, and, and it was a really fun and it was a, look, the the truth of the matter is, is that was a very creative show, very creative idea. You can see the work and stuff that went into it. I am not bagging on WandaVision. I'm taking one little nitpick and bringing it up and saying that I think that the, I'm just saying that I think the fullness of the success of that show was in the mystery. Well, as you move forward in the series, um, I don't know that that element is there that was there. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, or I mean Falcon Winter Soldier, Captain America, whatever you want to call it, Sam and Bucky, the Sam and Bucky show. Um, there's a lot good in that little series, but it also felt very disjointed, and it felt... Um, when he puts on the cap suit, it's supposed to be this big moment when he finally does it in the end. And I don't know that it hit and resonated the way that it, it, it was meant to. Um, but Sam stepped into the role very well. A lot of the action was really good. I thought it was fun seeing Zemo. It was great to see Zemo pull on the hood, but, I don't think that show hit as well as WandaVision. What if it was a mixed bag? You know, what if started out of just kind of like power swap or character swap, and then it kind of moved into some some different things, and there's some, there's some good episodes and some not-so-great episodes. They finally got to do some stuff they've wanted to do, you know, f- for a while now, the Marvel zombies and that sort of thing. Um, and and I think I'm in the minority. I enjoyed Hawkeye. I, I thought it was... It was a it it was a fun kind of, but also really touching because of the family dynamic and the family aspect of it. I thought it was just a fun kind of adventure. It was great to reintroduce uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin. Um, it was I, I just really I thought I think that I enjoyed Hawkeye a little more than other people did. The problem is I think these torches are getting passed a little too soon. Um, I, I, and I think that that's where the cracks are going to show because I don't know 
I think there's an expectation that these characters were just supposed to be endeared or these characters just supposed to be endeared to us um, because they're endearing. I don't know. Oh, Loki. Loki was the other one. Here's listen. I don't know that I've got a bad thing to say about Loki other than the finale. The the final episode was really boring and a lot of talky talk. Um, there was too much dialogue in that final episode between Loki and, and Kang or the one who survives or the one who's in the end or whatever they call him. Um, but it, it had a great man, the great science fiction ending of him in the TVA. And there's the big statue of Kang. It had a really, 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 um, Planet of the Apes vibe to it, right? And then uh, the the fact that they went for TVA, the Time Variance Authority, and 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 we are getting into the multiverse kind of stuff and everything. I think a lot of people are more excited about the multiverse stuff than I am. Uh, I am I'm, I'm not opposed to the multiverse, but you, I think you need to understand that in the Marvel universe, for the longest time, the multiverse was merely what if stories. Like that's where the multiverse came from. Uh, it got played with some in the Fantastic Four and, and you know, here and there. In fact, the Fantastic Four had this great... Walt Simonson, I didn't appreciate it at the time because I didn't appreciate Walt Simonson's art. But the story was actually pretty epic as the Fantastic Four had to go forward in time to stop a universe-ending event at the end of time, basically. And it was Galactus had gotten so big that he was basically eating everything. So they go and and Thor and Iron Man get in in on the action and they go and they stop everything from happening and as they're coming back into time you see different versions of them you know all racing to the same place but as they come back into into their own time they end up in a different alternate reality they end up in an alternate reality from their own and then they have to get out of that and come back from that and and then and then as they get back from that there's this whole other adventure that happens and and squeezed in there is the is the whole Spider-Man and Hulk and Wolverine and 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 Ghost Rider version of the Fantastic Four, and then um, and then you end up with this awesome fight with Doctor Doom. You know, issues two, three fifty and three fifty two are are just two great issues where you know Doctor Doom returns after being gone for so long, and 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 the young boy Kristoff being in his place, and uh, and and then he and Reed have this battle throughout time and it's really just, and it's happening in, 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 in just increments of like 30 to 45 seconds where they're jumping around in this small window of time. And there's a special way to read the book and follow their battle. And you read the book straight through and you're seeing what everyone who's not in the middle of the battle is going through, but then you can go back and reread the book and, and do it in the, in the right time frame based on the time cues you're given. Um, in in the in the panels and it's it was a clever smart way of doing it but then at the end of that here comes the time variance authority to put a stop to what they're doing and and so now we're off to the races with the with the fight against the time variance authority and all this stuff so anyway um cool stuff uh you know loki was but um overall I think these new characters are. I'm not. I'm not going to say they're being shoved down our throat, but they're being presented to us as though you love these people, when maybe we don't. You know, um, Moon Knight. I'm, I'm interested in because Moon Knight is a character that I never really read a lot of in Marvel, uh, but I know that he has a, a really devoted fan base. People love him. 
Um, and so I'm interested to kind of see how that goes and what that's all about. Um, uh, Miss Mar- Marvel, um, you know what? I, on on Rule the Galaxy, I said I have a lot of thoughts about Miss Marvel, and really, I only have one major thought about Miss Marvel, and this is it. This is a character that should be the character that everyone is able to live vicariously through, no matter who you are. Um, it, the The thing that makes her an interesting character to comic book fans or superhero fans is not her gender or her race or her religion. What makes her interesting is, is she is the superhero fangirl who got to be a superhero. She she knows all about the Avengers. She knows that you know she's all into them and 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 dreams of being a superhero, and she finally gets to do that. And unfortunately, what all of the stories have for most of the stories that I have read of her and seen of her, focus on her on her gender and her religion and her race and not on this really neat aspect of what she gets to be now and the excitement of that and, and how she interacts in this world where she's a fangirl and now she's in the world with these people. And I think that is such a missed opportunity. Um, and, and I think that she could have a lot of um, fun interactions with Peter Parker at this point. You know, Peter's a little bit older, of course, you know, than what she is. But, you know, he's also kind of that, he was also kind of in that same boat of, of, oh my gosh, look at you, look at you. And he was just always so, he held the Avengers in, in this certain regard, just like everyone does. And, and so I, anyway, I think that show has potential. I think that character has a lot of potential, but I, I'm afraid what's going to happen is what they've done in the comics. And they're going to focus on the aspects that are, in many ways, the least interesting about superheroes. A superhero is not interesting based on uh, race, religion, or whatever else. A superhero is interesting based on how they, what, what are these powers, why do they have these powers, and how are they choosing to use these powers, and why are they choosing to use these powers this way. Superman is interesting not because he is so powerful and not because he's, from, he's a farm boy from Kansas. Superman is interesting because anyone else in the real world with that kind of power would use it to rule and conquer, and Superman uses it to serve and to protect and to help. And 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 I think that the light of Superman, um, uh, the light uh, that is Superman is best served when he is fighting true darkness and how he overcomes that. And and I really, I I think that that whole idea of people being super people with superpowers being put in with extraordinary powers being put in extraordinary situations and overcoming extraordinary odds has, has kind of been lost and and with all that you can tell good stories and you can do great character development and everything and all of these other things begin to play into the fullness of who that character is and uh and 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 you can really start to sink your teeth into the meat of these people but you think about it now you, you, let's talk let, let's take for example and let's take MCU only let's leave the comic books to the side let's take MCU only and let's take the character of Loki Loki was introduced to us in the first Thor and in that movie Loki was 
revealed to be very early on a liar. He played that role so well, though, that when he shows up and, and it's this amazing and I didn't realize it until like after having seen the movie a couple of times, he shows up and tells Thor that Odin is dead. You know, and that's when Thor says, I'm sorry, brother, and all this stuff. And, um, and, and he, and he leaves, he's lying to Thor when he tells him that. And I never, and it, and like, it's one of those things that I'm never like, oh, I can't believe you're lying to him about this. It's like, oh, that's tragic. I sit there and I think, oh, that's tragic, but I know he's not dead. I know he's just in the Odin sleep. I like it. That's the amazing thing to me is I'm just like, that's how good that character pulls that off. But we also see from the get-go that Loki in that movie does not have the affinity for his brother and the rest of Asgard that, that Thor has for Loki and that Odin even has for Loki. But Loki is self-centered and evil. And so, and really, as well as he plays, I'm going to say it, Loki is a one-dimensional character. He's after one thing, but the thing is that he plays that one dimension so well. He is the trickster. He is evil. And so he manipulates us all into thinking he's a multifaceted character with multifaceted uh, 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 reasons for being. And then the next time we see Loki, he's in New York trying to take over the world with an alien army. So... He's not a good guy. He's not someone to be uh, heralded. And so the true truth of the matter is this. Loki's real character development comes in the second Thor, the movie that everyone talks about being so bad and such a weak point. That's where Loki's real character development comes in. That's where we see his love for his mother. That's where we see the cracks begin to show with a little bit of affinity for Thor, even though he's still willing to be deceptive and trick so that he doesn't have to go back to prison. We see him regret the mistake he makes of sending curse up the one way that ends up being the reason his mother dies. All these things we see. And then, you know, that, I'm sorry, that's that's where you really get your teeth sunk into Loki for for character development and everything. And I know people hate Thor too, but that's that's exactly what's going on there. I don't know how I got down this road. I guess what I'm saying is, is it's determine the broad strokes of a character and then begin to fill in the details later. And a lot of what they've done nowadays with characters they create is, is they pick out the details they want this character to have. And then they, and then they're like, and then we can just, and then, and honestly, the origin and the powers and everything else are an afterthought. And and it causes, I don't know, it, it's there is a way to write a superhero story. I don't know that if I have it down pat, but I know when I, I see one that's not great. How about that? So um, anyway, Mark, you're not missing much. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. That, that's great. Mark, you, you're missing... Um, you're missing out. You've missed out on, on podcast impossible. So anyhow, I guess I don't know if I answered your question. That's kind of what I mean by the crack starting to show. I think that we've lost a lot of the characters that people initially fell in love with and, and we're moving on to new things. I'm excited about She-Hulk. Um, my wife and I have just started watching. I don't say just started. We're, we're in the second season of Orphan Black with, uh, with Tatiana Maslany, who is playing uh, She-Hulk and she does such an outstanding job in that show. 
it, 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 you forget that she's the same person playing all these different characters. And I'm really interested in what they're going to do with She-Hulk. It looks like they're going to do kind of the John Byrne-esque kind of, you know, look, at least from like a little bit we've seen, you know, but but that funnier version of She-Hulk where she's breaking the fourth wall and that sort of, she was doing that before Daredevil was doing it, by the way. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to that because we're actually apparently going to get to spend some time with Bruce and the Hulk and that sort of, and, and, and I want to see more of that. I, I, I miss the Hulk, but apparently, you know, he's going to end up going by the wayside, universal rights and that sort of thing. I don't know. Uh, so yes, as far as casting for the fantastic four goes, I have no idea, man. I'm not, I'm not good at the casting train because I just, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know enough actors and stuff. And I know everyone's talked about Krasinski for Mr. Fantastic. I, I understand why you're saying Rain Wilson is Dr. Doom, but I, he would not fit the character at all. And I, and I don't think we need to mess around with the character of Dr. Doom. They've done that too much in other, in other, the cinematic versions of that character. They've messed around too much. And, um, and I think that, uh, that they don't need to mess around with him too much again. He's he's too great of a villain. He's too great of a of a character to to just kind of do a one off gag with because these two guys are in the office together. Um, it's a, it, it's going to be interesting, and I really hope that that Marvel Studios nails it with a Fantastic Four because they're one of my favorites from a long time back. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, um, I have no idea what we're going to do. So stick around. It's Geek Out Loud. It's your safe place to geek out. We'll be back after this. Are you fed up with those annoying Bigfoot? This thing was 10 foot top. He had beautiful hair. I thought he was going to kill my little dog. Save time and money with Sasquatch Stick. The Sasquatch Stick is a revolutionary device that rids your property of those problem Bigfoot. I come out here and rough talk him and run him off. Our product's been successfully used by tens of thousands of people and been positively reviewed on nationwide news programs. I go up here, this stick, he was standing right there. And I said, get away from here. Get. Get. If you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get your money back guaranteed. Works on most mythic beasts, real or imagined. And he went right back at that path again. Others may cost you $100, but for four easy payments of $19.95, this Sasquatch stick can be yours. Limited time offer, not available in stores. Here's what I want to tell you. Beware of Walmart. The Garden Center is normally your best bet. There's my tip for the night. Oh, but if they start needing a CSN for an override, just take your stuff and walk away. Take your stuff and walk away.
Geek Out Loud, Steve Glosson, glad to be along with you. Thank you so much for being here on the show. For those of us joining us, for those of you joining us live at Mixler.com slash Goliverse, you know, right now it's about 11 o'clock Eastern on a Monday night, and we have over 25 people listening, and so thank you all for being here. If you want to listen live, go to Mixler.com slash Goliverse. Follow us there and get notified when we go live. Usually on time, just depends. You know, sometimes they're a little slow with it. If you want to see when we're live, you can go. Really, one of the best ways is to follow us on Facebook, Goliverse, uh, the Guardians of the Goliverse group. Go over there. Ask to join, answer a few questions, and we'll we'll get you in there. And uh, and, uh, and 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 there's a lot of discussions that are going on there. In fact, one of the things that's happening is something we got to do before the month is out. I might have might have bitten off more than I could chew, ladies and gentlemen. Um, in the Guardians of the Goliverse group, we I put up two announcements. One is uh, we're trying to I'm trying to put together some brackets. A couple of years ago on the Big Honkin Show. We had a couple of March Madness shows where, like, the whole episode was dedicated to some brackets that we found online. Jimmy and George, our remote producer and content provider for the Big Honkin' Show, found those, and he sent them on to me, and I said, you know what? Um, this will be fun. And and so we had a couple of shows in a row that were, one was, like, best fast food, best candy. There was best ice cream. And I got to tell you something. When it comes to the best ice cream bracket, I'm going to go ahead and say now, I was wrong. Um, I made I made a big mistake based on my love of a certain candy, and I did not take into account fully the ice cream. And um, and so we are going to rectify that situation, uh, and we're going to bring back those ice cream brackets and go through those on a future episode. But I also said, let's put together some geeky brackets. Let's do favorite superheroes. Let's do favorite... Um, favorite giant robots. I really thought the giant robot would be an interesting thing to kind of get into and and um, and 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 really kind of sink our teeth into. I thought that would be something neat. And then I realized that there are two things at play here. One, I, I should have had better parameters for what constitutes giant robot. And two, I don't know uh, some of these giant robots. So um, so yeah, that's. Uh, that was like I, I I excluded planet eating robots such as um, such as Unicron, but I was thinking more along the lines. If we're going to go Transformers. I was thinking more along the line of maybe the combiners in their combined state, uh, or an, an Omega Supreme, or a Metroplex, or a Trypticon, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then some people actually put in some regular Transformers. I don't know. I'm just like, eh, they are giants compared to us, but they're not like what I'm thinking. Like you know, kaiju fighting size robots. Uh, Voltron is in there, but then, you know, someone was like, well, if you're going to say human piloted vehicles like Voltron, add added the shield helicarrier. But the thing is, is Voltron are distinctly called robot lions. Um, and we see them act uh, independently from their pilots at time. Now, if it's the vehicle Voltron, I think, you know, there's a different thing there. But when they all combine, that that thing is a giant robot. It is it is considered a robot in that canon. 
an ad ad is not considered a robot. It's considered a vehicle. So that, so see, we got, we got it crazy, you know? Um, and then people brought in like the, the Robotech stuff and I don't know Robotech. And I realized I, it's to do that. Cause here's the thing I was going to say, we put our brackets together based on how you, um, how you all voted or how you all suggested. And I've, and I've got some documents here that have, you know, the names of these different superheroes and robots with tick marks out by their sides as they get more. But I realize on the robot thing, we're just going to probably have to depend on, on your voting, um, and, and go from there. Uh, everything else I was just going to be, and this is, and it was going to be old school bracket rules for what I did on the big honking show. I'm like, it's just up to me. I'm, I'm making the rules. So here's where we're going. So, um, but now I, I know that I may not be able to pull that off because of my knowledge of these robots and I don't want to give the robots an unfair shake, but the, the ice cream has to be rectified. So, um, I know robo, I know Robotech is skyfire. No, no, no. Listen, I understand. I know the, 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 the look of the robots, but I don't know anything about those things, but also the one they were talking about was not the skyfire or the Jetfire robot. It was, um, it was the, the big carrier thing that turns into a robot apparently. So that's, that's what they were talking about. So anyhow, head over there, facebook.com or you go to geekoutonline.com slash group and it'll take you to that Facebook group. If you want to be a part of that, uh, or you can interact with us at uh, email, email geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com. You know, Justin got 45 minutes out of me, uh, talking about some stuff. So, um, one of the things that I've been wanting to do um, it, it, with Geek Out Loud is to inject a little bit of Big Honkin' Show to it uh, because we don't do the Big Honkin' Show anymore. I don't know if it'll ever be done again uh, in the way that it once was. Um, you know, I, Scott Rifen has told me I, I could come back and do Geek, uh, do the big honking show, but it's just a matter of, of time. It, it's just a matter of not being able to, to devote the time to doing it that we once, that we once did. And so, um, <clears throat> I am going to, uh, I, we're going to look at some things every now and again, and we're going to, to talk about it. So for those of you who never listened to the big honking show, uh, don't tune out. Don't turn away. I'm not going to, there's going to be no rhyme or reason to where these things get stuck in at, but every now and again, I'll see a news story that piques my interest because let me tell you what doesn't pique my interest anymore. Excuse me for a moment. I have a soapbox I need to pull over here and attempt to stand on if it will hold my weight. Apparently it does. Here we go. One of the great things about the internet is also one of the terrible things about the internet, as we've all said and have all heard, everybody has a voice. I have a voice right now. I'm doing a podcast. Now, granted, look, I've been doing this podcast, we'll say on and off, since 2007, 2008-ish. So you're talking now about 14 to 15 years worth of me, either on Geek Out Loud, Starkville House of L, uh, Big Honkin' Show, uh, Rock Out Loud, Disney Vault Talk, Rebel Yell, guest appearances on the Force Dot uh, or the Force Cast and Rebel Force Radio, guest appearances on my Star Wars show and or my Star Wars story and the Star Wars Report and and these different things. Like I'm not a great influence. I'm not an influencer. I'm not a big voice in fandom. I am myself 
And I've always kind of just shared what my opinion about things are. And that's the point of this show. But I, I hope that, I hope that I've never come across, unless I'm joking, that I've never come across as saying, this is what you should think and here's why. Um, I, I will argue points with people and I've been known to be passionate about arguing different points of geekdom with people. But there is something about the, the reporting that we have today uh, in, in entertainment. Because, look, when I started Geek Out Loud, this was pretty niche stuff. You know, Geek Out Loud, the, 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 the idea of superheroes and even Star Wars was very niche. And along comes Marvel Studios. Along comes uh, Disney Star Wars and everything else. Um but I'm telling you what, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% over clicking on a news feed on, on Facebook or some other social media and being directed to these websites where I'm being told that I should think this is okay or there's some kind of think piece where someone's trying to be the smartest person in the room and they think they're the first person to ever say anything like this and it's like you're not and this is not news and this is not what I want to see. There was something, it's been a while back, and I can't remember what it was, and I actually did rant a little bit about it on on the Facebook group um, because it just really bothers me when someone says, you know, Star Wars is not good, and that's okay. And it's like, no, Star Wars is good, and, and that's okay. It's like the statement is, I, I guess I don't like the, and that's okay headlines, and I don't like the, here's why you shouldn't do this headline. It's just like, shut up and, 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 and stay out of my business. Um, because it, it gets to a point where it's like you're stating opinion as fact, or you're misstating what is true about something to try to make, or you heard something about this thing that you never really watched. And now you want me to think it's, think that you are some kind of, um, expert on on the situation and you know what you're you're a fan and we're all fans and the people who read you are fans and and i think that that's kind of the thing is like we've lost the ability to just have fun with this stuff and now it's like we got to get clicks we got to get news we got to get all this stuff and it's just just stop it you know I, if i have an opinion and it happens to get a lot of tread because people either like it or don't like it then that's life. But I I don't think any of you should think the way I think or want the same things I want. If you disagree what I have to say about superheroes, you know what? They're freaking superheroes. They're not real. And it's fine to have different opinions. You know, it's just like... It, it, one of the things that was really disappointing to me was... Uh, was um what was the was the He-Man deal that uh, the the Masters of the Universe show that Kevin Smith put out and and how and and people were like oh I think it'll be fine I think it'll be fine and you know what it ended up doing what you would think it would do and and all this stuff that's fine that's fine um and, you know but look at some point you have to admit that they tried to break down a part and. And inject jokes that have no business being injected into this thing. And then I had to realize it's like, well, I'm a, I'm a grown-up. But they told me this was for me. But the thing is, is they don't know a lot of times what is for us. I don't know. I'm just absolutely going off of, uh, of a bunch of different stuff. 
Um, I wish I could find exactly what I'm talking about, and I don't even remember how I got there. But anyhow, it, just these, I, I bet if I clicked on a news feed right now, I would come across it, and so that's that's fine. That's fine. We won't worry with it. Because I'm scrolling through here, and I, I can, maybe if I just search for myself in here. Can I search the post? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me find post by me and see what we got here. Not a lot. Oh, wow. No, this is... Is this searching in the in the group? No, I think this is searching from all across the the internets or the the Facebook. Anyway, my goodness, I'm done. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Um, I'm done. All right, I'm going to stop doing this. My point is this. I don't know what my point was. I don't even know how I got there. Let me stop. Let me back up. I went through my credentials like I'm all that. I talked about the things I don't like to see. I just don't like the clickbaity stuff and all that that silliness. I thought that was just kind of redonkulous and and should not have been a, a, a you know should not be something we aspire to. Let's just have fun is ultimately my thing. Let's have fun. Big honking show is fun and and i miss just having some fun all right so here we go quick piece of news that i wanted to bring up and this is one of those really silly things that i'm not even going to read the article i have a point to make registration data shows labradors remain top dog in the u.s so basically what they're saying is the american kennel club had statistics that say the labrador retriever is the most popular breed of dog in the united states for the 31st consecutive year Listen, y'all need to understand, if you don't live in the South, you may not understand this, but the Lab is also the most lied about breed in the South because every mutt you see, oh, that's a Lab mix. Got a little Lab in them. They don't look Lab at all. They do. Got a little Lab. See how they're black? That's that's Lab. That's black Lab in them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They got a little Lab. Got a little Retriever in them. Nope. No, they don't. I promise you, they sure don't. Um, and... Uh, and that's right. And then I see this. We also like to solve, back in the day, we also like to solve mysteries on the Big Honkin' Show. Full set of teeth left behind at a British restaurant. Uh, a British restaurant is trying to find the owner of an unusual piece of lost and found property, a full set of teeth. The Barclay Pizza and Prosecco, located in Royton, Oldham, England, said workers were cleaning in the early morning hours Sunday when they found a full set of dentures on the floor in the bar area of the eatery. <laughs> Emma Whalen, owner of the establishment, posted a photo of the business's Facebook page showing a bag that employees labeled Teeth, Saturday, 19th of March, 2022. We get a lot of things left behind after a night in the Barclay. We've had a house, keys, phones, even a single shoe. She must have hopped home. But this is a new one, the post said. Whalen said the teeth were found at the end of a particularly busy night. It was a busy night last night. We had a party upstairs, and it was busy downstairs as well. And when you're busy downstairs and you're busy upstairs, you're busy all over the place. We didn't find the teeth until the end of the night, she told the Manchester Evening News. Manchester, England, England. Our supervisor, Cameron, found them. They were on the floor by the bar. It's a full set of teeth. I particularly want to post it because someone is definitely missing them. All right. So many questions. 
such a mystery. And listen, if your teeth, if you were the owners of these teeth and they have fallen out and been on the floor of a bar all night, one, what was your thought when you woke up the next morning? Obviously, you went home a little too schnookered to care about your teeth being missing. But then if you discover that your teeth were on the floor of this bar, how do you ever put them back in your mouth? How do you ever put them back in your mouth? Well, I don't. I just sit here and I just, I'm just going to gum my food for the rest of my days. How do you lose them and not know you've lost them? Going to wrap my teeth around a bottle of suds. No, you're not. You're going to wrap your gums around them. Because your teeth are gone. They're on the floor. They're out. Just letting you know. Have you seen British people say... <laughs> That's terrible. That is terrible, Mark. That is terrible. Mark Hamill, everybody. Have you seen the British... <laughs> That was a fun bit in Austin Powers when he saw his own teeth. He's like, "Oh," and and uh, and and they were and and he got real uncomfortable about his teeth in the in the modern era. Um, there's something else that happened on the Big Honkin Show over time. And look, I'm just wanting to bring you, dear listener, into what went on in 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 the Big Honkin Show. Those of you who didn't listen, uh, we believe as we we started a basically we started a whole study. And what we found was, is that the animals are trying to rise up and take over the world. Um, it began really in the radio days of the Big Honkin Show when we were doing it uh, Mondays through Fridays from WHJD. And as we're there and, and reading these things, it seemed like about every other day there was a story about maybe a deer breaking into something. So uh, an animal messing up someone's car or house or, or just messing up traffic or something. And we figured out they're trying to take over the world and destroy humanity in an event we call the Animapocalypse. And we would always have this Animapocalypse news. Tonight is no different. Here we go. I got something in my blood. Whoa. I need your touch, God, I need your love Whoa, and I want, and I need, and I love, and I love Apocalypse, animal apocalypse news, everyone And uh, here we go, bears open California man's car door while he eats a sandwich a California man enjoying a corned beef sandwich in his car. I'm so, thank you so much. This comes from UPI.com. Ben Hooper is the writer, and he has let me know everything we need to know about this. California, he's corned beef sandwich. That's what, that would have been my first question. Well, what kind of sandwich was it? Corned beef sandwich in his car. Uh, captured video when a trio of hungry bear cubs approached his vehicle and opened the door twice. Bill Duvall said he was in the car with his dog, Sierra Madre, and had a St. Patrick's Day corned beef sandwich on his laps when the bear cubs appeared nearby. Hey, buddy, you gonna eat all that? <laughs> Duval captured the video as the cubs approached his car and immediately attempted to open the door. The bears managed to open the door two times, but both times Duval was able to quickly close it before they could reach inside. Duval's wife, Sandy Lewis Duval, said the bears are frequent visitors to the neighborhood. 
because people are feeding them. Come on now. From KTLA, a video captured a man's run-in with a family of bears Thursday in Sierra Madre. The man was sitting in his car in it with his St. Patrick's Day corned beef meal in his lap near Mountain Trail and Churchill Road when he saw the bears approached. Uh, we're going to have to watch this video. Recreation warns that bears can open vehicle doors and may cause damage trying to gain entry if they sniff something inside. They can also pry open home doors, windows, and dumpsters. Basically, no one's safe from the bears. No, Listen, no one is safe from the bears. And don't think animals love you because they do not. Let's Here's a video package. Courtesy of Good Day LA and Fox 11 News. Much though to the dismay of the man holding that sandwich. The dog is barking at the bear. He's rough talking him. He's rough talking him. That's how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. You rough talk him. And you run them off. Well done, sir. Well done, Bill. Yes, please. Bill Duval was about to enjoy his corned beef sandwich. So there they are. Three All three of them just hanging around. Thought he might like to share it. He recorded this little encounter outside his home, and while the Duval family is used to lock the, the door, man, the don't usually try to get in the car for takeout. I would just the mama is somewhere close by. That's right. <laughs> that is so scary. <laughs> That's right. The mama is. Listen, the news anchor, she got it right. The mama bear is somewhere close by. Don't be don't be messing with the mama bear. Bear. Mama bear. Mama bear. Don't mess with her. Don't mess with her. A uh, little closer to home for me, wild eastern indigo snake is found in Alabama for a second time in 60 years. Wildlife officials in Alabama say an eastern indigo snake was found in the wild is only the second of the species to be discovered in the state in over 60 years. The Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries Division, that's the AWFFD, uh, said a young eastern indigo snake was found by researchers in Conica National Forest. The division said the snake is the product of natural pairings of snakes released in the National Forest as part of the, snakes, the state's eastern indigo project. The project began releasing captive-raised snakes in the wild in 2010 as part of efforts to reestablish a population in the wild. But no wild-born eastern indigos were identified by researchers until one was discovered in 2020. This is what's wrong with society. There are people who say, we need more snakes. And we give them, we give them authority to make more snakes in the wild. You know what this world needs. More snakes. Look, out in California, they got plenty of bears because the bears have learned to open doors and everything. If we could just have snakes here in the South that uh, that that can open uh, open doors and get in people's houses, a roll tide on that. Only in Alabama. Hey, we're Alabama. Welcome to Alabama, where we're going to roll tide, war eagle, and release the snakes. We need more eastern indigos out there because there's not a big enough snake population. Now, as we continue to think about what it means to have snakes, it can only help us. How does it help as you say? Because we need more snakes. And if we have more snakes, then we've, we've got more snakes. More snakes. Uh, what does this say? They can be included on the list of gentle giants because they may grow, lar grow in a large size, but they do not have venom. 
They are not a threat to humans, just handled them properly. They are most active during the winter season, while most other snakes hibernate. Listen, listen, listen. I, they are not... Mm, <clears throat> let, me, let me make sure we hear this last sentence properly. Snakes mostly hibernate in winter. Not the eastern indigo. They're most active during the winter. So basically what we've done is, is we've put ourselves in a position to have to battle snakes year-round. You know why? Because humanity is dumb. We are stupid. We are, we are not wise. We are not wise. And if we continue this trend, we're just going to, uh, we're just going to give, we're going to give the animal apocalypse. We're going to give the battle of the animal apocalypse right over to the animals. Stupid, stupid people. World's heaviest potato. Turns out not to be a potato at all. A New Zealand couple who applied to have a massive vegetable named Doug, D-U-G, recognized the world's heaviest potato by Guinness World Record, said the DNA test had shocking results. The tuber is not a potato. Colin and Donna Craig Brown, who unearthed the 14 and almost a half pound object from their Waikato farm in August of 2021, said Guinness World Records requested a sample of Doug for DNA testing as part of their record application, and they heard back from the record-keeping organization on Sunday. The Craig Brown said Guinness had the sample tested by science and advice for uh, Scottish agricultural, and the examination revealed Doug the Spud was actually a tuber of a type of gourd. I'm disappointed, but he's still Doug, not the biggest potato, Colin Craig Brown told Stuff.co.nz. It's been a real roller coaster of potato rama. We hopped on the roller coaster wide open, eyes wide open, enjoyed the ride, and this was the last real twist. Didn't have enough pamphlets. Try to get a revolution going. Didn't have enough pamphlets. Know your tubers, ladies and gentlemen. Know your tubers. This is the kind of stuff we would talk about. All right, Sad says, what animals kills more people than any other? Mosquitoes. But here's the thing, SAD in the in the chat. Um People hate, I mean, I'm sorry, animals hate people. No animal likes you. People love animals more than animals like people. In fact, even your precious little pets don't love you. You're just a source of food for them. All they care about is that you give them food and shelter. The minute you die, you become a source of food for them if you're not handled. That's just how it is. It's just how it is. Uh, one final piece of news, and this is uh, in honor of our good friend Realtor Angie. In Michigan, a house for sale features an unusual throne-like toilet. The house is listed for $979,000 in the Detroit suburbs. It's drawing attention for the unusual feature of the toilet that resembles an actual throne. And indeed, it does. It's got armrests. Looks like it's even got a cup holder on one of those armrests. And... Um, it's nicknamed the House of Charm in honor of its original resident, Edith Fern Melrose, TV and radio host known as the Lady of Charm. The home is listed, as we said, uh, for 979000 by Tom Finchin of Community Choice Realty. Features five bathrooms. One is drawing the particular attention for its toilet. It's a high-backed wooden seat that resembles a royal throne. It features a candle holder mounted to its high wooden back. Uh, it has an unusual bathtub on wheels because, you know... <laughs> When you got to bathe on the go, <laughs> that's what you want to have happen. So, um, let me see if I can get this pasted here in the, it's not letting me paste in the chat, is it? 
Well, dadgummit. Dadgummit. Why can't... I'm the boss of the chat. Why can't I paste in the chat? That's not nice. All right. So it's... um. I found this at upi.com slash odd news. And, uh, and it's, it's one of the newer, it's from March 15th. Um, yeah, so I, I, it's not on my phone. It's on my computer. I can't text it. Um, let's see if I can find a different thing here. Copy. I don't understand why the chat's not letting me paste anything. Will it let me type something? Photo. Oh, there. Thank you, Mark Hamill. I don't know why I could not. What if I do that? Oh, there we go. They made me do Control V. It wouldn't let me right click and copy. Weird. This is what happens with live shows. This is why people stop listening. This is why I need um, Podcast Impossible to come rescue the shows. So there you go. Um, anyway, that's a taste of Big Honkin' Show for you. It's kind of what we would do back in the day and have some fun with some things. And, and it's just, kind of, you know, it, it's the Big Honkin' Show. And so I want to start injecting some of that into Geek Out Loud and doing some bits here and there. Our friend Jimmy and George used to make commercials for the Big Honkin' Show. That's what some of what you've heard. Other people got in on that. There's no sense in people not getting in on that. We just want to have fun. That's what we want to do. We just want to have some fun. I don't know that I've talked about anything really geeky. Well, I guess we talked about comics for a while. I've had no real agenda on this show, if I'm being honest. When we come back, I will round out the show with some straight-up geek talk. I promise. Hang in there. We'll be right back. After this. Have you ever been walking down the street and you see something really nice and you think to yourself, hey, where'd they get that? Maybe if you're like me, you might go up to them and say, hey, little boy, where'd you get that bird? Because I love America and I love eagles, huh? I get excited about that. But maybe you're not that bold. That's why we came up with our new app for the Android and iPhone. Where'd you get that? Just take a picture of the product you're looking for and it'll tell you where you can get it. Download our new app today and you'll never have to ask, where'd you get that? Again. Steve Glosson is not an accredited zoologist. He is simply an enthusiastic young man with an abiding love for all of God's creatures. Share his love this morning on the Big Honkin' Show. All of a sudden, a freaking zebra comes running yeah. down the street like a car. I would have tried to hug him. Yeah. I would have been like, come here, zebra. Come here. We must study him. He's Easy. a zebra whisperer. Easy. Here's what's happening. The yeah. zebra is just trying to get back to its natural habitat, the interstate. 
Me gustan mucho los animales. It's the unofficial house band of the Golivers, Rock Sugar, bringing us back in here uh, off of their album Reinventinator. As we come back, checking the chat at mixo.com slash Goliverse. Daniel and Indy in the house. Good to see him around. Roth in Wyoming. Uh-oh. to talk about uh, scores and that sort of thing. I've not seen the Batman yet, and and so I know that makes me a bad geek. But I've not seen the Batman yet, and I uh, I just wasn't too. 
the, the trailers, none of the trailers grabbed me. I, you know, it's like, oh, Batman's going to be dark. Great. Um, hadn't happened before. Uh, it, it's really interesting to me. I remember, remember when we thought back in 1989 that Michael Keaton's Batman was like, oh, this is a dark take. <laughs> what a dark take on Batman. Um, and, uh, and then Nolan came along like, oh, Christian Bale, what a dark take on Batman. And then like the cartoons are like, let us show you a few things. Those made for video movies and Arkham, the Arkham video games. And, and of course the comics, even a little bit, you know, you gotta, you gotta hold, look, and I'm not dogging, I'm not bagging the comics. There was some interesting stuff, you know, Joker cutting his face off and everything. Um, I've heard some good stuff about it, you know, and, and I, but I just, I'm not, I'm not hating. It just didn't grab me. And so I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to go to a theater and see it, probably, uh, wait and, uh, and, and watch it on the HBO max. Now, um, I will say this, that Michael Giacchino, uh, did this, is it Giacchino? Giacchino, um, did the score and there's a lot of praise being heaped on, on the score, for the Batman, and uh, let's let's take a listen because I've not really listened to any of it. So let's. This is the the Batman. The track is called the Batman. Maybe I have listened to this. There's some, I forget what you call those chimes that are there, but it's not. It's neat to hear those there. Strings doing that. Wow. It is a six minute, 47 second song, and I've gone about a third of the way into it. I like the way this thing is building, and I like there is in some of the music, there's a, the, the, the motif that is up front is not dark at all. It's very light. It's got a good melody to it. You can see where, and I've not listened to anything else on the soundtrack, as I say, but I can see where this theme 
could be put into some minor keys, could be put into some dramatic stuff and used thematically throughout the rest of the score, throughout the rest of the movie. Um, but also behind what's going on with the with the hopeful kind of out front music, you, that that the stuff that's going on in the background. I don't know what instrument it is, but it's going. Wow, um, has kind of a dark, eerie feeling. So there's a there there is a tension between what is trying to come out and and what is good versus what is in the background threatening maybe or just lurking underneath the surface to, to come out this is just my first first thoughts on this ultimately uh, what I'm hearing it also sounds very very classic it sounds to me it, it sounds very classic cinema in a lot of ways about halfway through a little more than halfway through about not quite two thirds of the way And so now it feels like the darkness has kind of come to the forefront. So that's the end of a movement within this piece. Ooh. This sounds like music from Final Fantasy VII. Y'all remember Final Fantasy VII? I played the heck out of that back in the day. PlayStation 1, baby renamed every character so I don't know their real names this is getting a little repetitive this is getting very Hans Zimmerish this almost sounds That sounds does that not sound like it's revving up to the Imperial March? Here we go, hold on. Batman theme is dark and sounds like it's from 89 Batman. It seems to me like a slowed down version when the Batmobile blew up Axis Chemical. Well, you know what we're going to have to do now. Yeah, this sounds like he's trying to build to the Imperial March, but it just kind of builds and builds is what I'm being told. I'm sorry, I jumped forward. Oh, that's irking me because I feel like that big note need to be resolved. I feel like he left that unresolved. And I'm not a music guy. All right, let's see what we got here. Um, the Joker's poem, love theme, charge of the Batmobile. Here we go. This is Danny Elfman from the bat from the Batman score, the nineteen eighty nine Batman score. Charge of the Batmobile. 
Yeah, if you take out the, the variations of the theme on it and just go with what's in the background. Yes, I can see what you're saying there, where it sounded like a slowed-down version of that. I I can't see that. Here's the thing. Michael Giacchino is kind of, I think I saw someone talking about during the break, he's kind of the heir apparent to John Williams in many ways. He is, he's been tapped to do a lot of scoring recently. He He's done some Star Wars stuff. He's done a lot of popular films Um he, of course, did the Star Trek uh, score. Let's just, I'm going to, I'm going to run down. I'm, I'm not even doing a, a I'm not doing a, 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 a Wikipedia search. I'm doing a straight up just artist search on Amazon Music here. So let's pull this up and kind of see what albums we've got. Obviously, this is going to put them out in order of um, popularity, not so much uh, first to, first to last kind of thing. Um, so let's see. Uh, Star Trek, of course. Yeah, we mentioned that. The Spider-Man movies, he's done those. Rogue One, which is... Rogue One's a score that kind of grew on me a little bit. A lot of Pixar stuff. Incredibles, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, uh, Jurassic World, Doctor Strange he did. And Doctor Strange was a, is a good sound... Doctor Strange is a good score. Um, a lot of TV stuff, of course, as I said, a lot of, a lot of Pixar stuff. Roar from Cloverfield. It is, it is the music that played over the ending credits. Very much a throwback to your Godzilla style stuff from, from the 50s, 60s era, 60s, 70s kind of era. Um, really cool piece of music. It's a long piece of music, uh, but it's good. I, I, I John Carter of Mars, um, I'm not familiar with that with that score, but but he did that. A lot of Disney stuff in here, of course. Um, so yeah, he's he's becoming more and more accomplished. Some Mission Impossible stuff, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. So he's in a lot of this. Uh, he's doing a lot of this stuff for these um, these franchise deals and and doing well, like. Here's here's the thing though. I think that Giacchino is is a little bit hamstrung in ways that those composers from the you know 30 40 years ago were not. Um Williams if in fact I'll tell you what in in a way in the first Star Wars Williams was a little bit strung up because there is a lot of Holst in what he does. There's a lot of Wagner in what he does and it's because these things were there as temp tracks for a lot of what was going on. And that's what happens in a lot of movie production today is they show these studios and, and, and people, the movies with temp tracks and, and it caused them to say, well, we want it to sound just like that. And so your, your Giacchino or, or Brian Tyler or whoever else may be stepping up to the plate is told, we want it to sound like this. And so they end up being kind of mimicky more than being able to do their own thing. Um, Giacchino has just found his, he, you know, part of it too has to be, are, are people able to work with him? 
and apparently he's he's someone that they can work with and he's going to get things done. He did the Super 8 score, I believe, which is actually a pretty good score. Um, it's a it's an Abrams joint, was Super 8. Uh, we will now go to the actual IMDb rather than just looking on uh, a list where maybe his albums aren't here. Um, so Michael Giacchino... Michael Giacchino. Oh, he did Up. Everyone cries at the score for Up. And um, people love that. So I just, why did it not let me? Okay, there we go. Good deal. All right. Uh, let's go to Composer. Here we go. <clears throat> We're just going to go with Composer. And we will come to, he's got Thor, Love, and Thunder coming up. Now, Thor is a franchise that has been plagued with different um, composers. But now all there during during phase during during phase two during for two oh my god during for two during phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Brian Tyler was tapped to do pretty much most if not all of that music I know he did Iron Man three um, he did he and Elfman worked and so you round that out with Age of Ultron he and Elfman worked on that he did the Guardians of the Galaxy. He did the Thor Dark World score. Um, Henry Jackman did the did the Captain America um, Winter Soldier, and um, what else was there in Phase Two? In those days, there was was Iron Man. It was Thor. It was Cap Winter Soldier. It was Guardians of the Galaxy. And it was age. Were there really only five or six movies in Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase Two? Marvel Cinematic Universe release order. I feel like I'm missing something. Um, yeah, Iron Man three. That was Brian Tyler. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Thor: The Dark World. Pretty sure it's Brian Tyler. Captain America: Winter Soldier was, um, I don't want to watch Chronological Order. I want the release order. Here we go. This is better. Okay, was Henry Jackman, I believe is the man's name. Guardians of the Galaxy, Brian Tyler. Age of Ultron was Brian Tyler and Danny Elfman uh, stepped in to help or uh, round that out. I believe that's correct. And, um, and then Ant-Man, I don't think Brian Tyler did Ant-Man. But my point is this, is, is they tapped him. I, I don't know how he ended up doing most of those movies. And he did a passable job. I mean, he gave us the guardians of the galaxy theme, um, you know, which is a good theme. Um, dun, 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 dun. um, so he, he's an accomplished guy. And, and, and so it was looking like he was going to be the superhero composer. And, um, you know, and then when you spin around to phase three, uh, you end up with a little bit more eclectic. A lot of leaning on, um, lot, lot of leaning on uh, uh, Giacchino for for Phase Three, and rightfully so. He does a great job. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him. Um, but I mean, almost to the point that it feels like you know, Brian Tyler may have made some, might have made someone angry. <laughs> he might have made someone unhappy with his with his dealings. Anyhow, let's keep. Uh, let me, let me keep bagging up here and see what we got um yeah dr strange he did 
who did Captain America Winter Soldier? That was Henry Jackman again. I believe his name's Henry Jackman. Henry Jackman, yeah, did. I think he did this after after Sylvester did the first uh, Cap. He did Winter Soldier, and I think, yeah, and he did Civil War as well. He also did the X-Men First Class, which is a really great soundtrack, really great score, that sort of thing. And he was around for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well. Um, he did the Kong Skull Island score, uh, but I don't know if he did, um, Kong versus Godzilla. So, yeah. Anyway, I have really gotten way off track here. Um, Power Rangers was awesome. Who did Power Rangers? Who did, I'm, I've, I've missed the, missed the thing. Who did, who did Power Rangers? <laughs> Because I tell you what I loved about the Power Rangers is when the actual theme kicked in to Power Rangers um, albums. Brian Tyler. Okay, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's give that a little bit of a listen here from Brian Tyler. So this is something Mark Aulis sent to me. It's from What Culture. And look, here's the thing. And I don't know when this is from. This, this, I don't know what what year this this thing was written. But this is how. This is one of the things I was talking about in the last segment about how I just get really irritated with things. Eight people who must be fired from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number six, Brian Tyler. Brian Tyler's work as a composer within the Marvel Cinematic Universe isn't bad exactly, but it isn't all that progressive either. Though his soundtracks are competent and synchronized well with what's ever happening on the screen, they're also somewhat forgettable. There are lack of themes, melody, and memorable musical sequences. Whilst his score for Iron Man 3 was at least punchy and exciting, his work on Thor The Dark World and Avengers Age of Ultron was noticeably lackluster. You don't come out of a movie scored by Brian Tum Tyler humming any left motifs or eager to buy the soundtrack when you get home. Pretty much a crime when it comes to superhero movies, surely? It's not like any other MCU composer have done much better when it comes to crafting memorable music scores. But Tyler seems to have been positioned as a leading man in this regard. If only his musical was less functionary or more rousing. Can't Marvel hire somebody with the power to make movie scores memorable again? Stan Lee. Look, Walt Culture, the next person on their list, number five, was Stan Lee. Oh, I do like this theme. Brian Tyler, ladies and gentlemen, don't tell me he's not good at what he does. And by the way, it wasn't Brian Tyler who did the Guardians of the Galaxy score. It's a guy named Tyler Bates. 
Tyler Bates, ladies and gentlemen, and he did give us a memorable. <laughs> he did give us some. <laughs> Look, Tyler, Tyler, I don't know. Let me come back to this What Culture article. Eight, now, listen, remember, eight people who must be fired from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number five on their list of eight, Stan Lee. Before you explode with anger, citing the fact that Stan Lee is the lord and commander of all things Marvel and cannot be fired, his inclusion merely gestured he'd be fired as an actor of the cameo variety. Mind, not fired from involvement of the NCU canon entirely. Oh, that obligatory, that obligatory Stan Lee cameo was funny the first, second, third, and even fourth time that it occurred. It was something amusing to look out for, like when Hitchcock appeared for a brief moment in his own pictures. But now the impact, and thus the charm, of seeing the Marvel mastermind popping up in every film has been noticeably lessened, to the point where it's really not very funny anymore, only distracting. How long will this gag play out, till Lee finally croaks? Yeah, that's exactly how long it played out. You pretentious jerks at whatculture.com. You people who think this is what this is my problem in geekdom right now. You don't if you th you think this is such a hot you thought when you wrote this back in 2000 whatever that this was such a hot take because you know it it's it, no one everyone's going to be really talking about this thing and then you put till Stanley finally croaks that's exactly right and you know what that made his final cameos that much more meaningful and special and sweet and nobody had a problem with stanley showing up it, it it was one of the things it was one of the things we looked forward to in the marvel movies and sometimes it was very subtle sometimes it was uh it was right in your face you know and this was happening since the days of the first spider-man movie with toby mcguire now some of stanley's stuff was cut there but it was there he was in the x-men movies that's the thing like stan the stanley cameo became a thing and and i'm not opposed to him being in it and i think it's a, it's the smartest thing you can do to have had stanley have cameos in these movies and to uh just this is the stuff that i don't like Eight people who must be fired from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number four, Natalie Portman. And these are the same people who are going to be like, eight people we're so glad to see back. Number four, Natalie Portman. Number three, Amy Pascal, who is the producer at Sony Pictures. And this is probably when they're like, why can't we get her? She's got to give up control of Spider-Man. Josh Whedon. Okay, yeah, you know, we've got some issues with him. People have issues with him. Idris Elba. Listen to this. Their number one person when this when this little listicle was written, and it and it doesn't say when. It's Sam Hill wrote it, by the way. He's an ardent cinephile. Has been writing about film professionally since two thousand eight. Well, I can talk about your poor things. <clears throat> He's saying this because Il Idris Elba doesn't want to do this again. But look, people love Idris Elba, and he did a great job in Ragnarok. He got out of the armor and everything, and it. Uh. Thank you, Mark, for showing me exactly. Written in 2015, so we need you to save it, Steve. You're on. No one's listening to me, Roth, except you guys, and that's fine. That's fine. Um, I just think it's funny now to be like people we need more of in the MCU. Idris Elba. By the way, also Idris Portman, both uh, in the first two Thor movies. Idris, of course, in the third. Um, doing a great job leading the resistance there in Ragnarok, that sort of thing. So, uh, look, my, back to Michael Giacchino. Um, 
I, you know, I would say of uh, I would say of his stuff too, like because when it comes to some of the legacy things, like the the Jurassic World stuff and all, um, that he's a lot of times he's doing callbacks and stuff to that. The the Rogue One he did, I think he was really deft in the way that it was. He deftly handled doing Star Wars without doing too much John Williams. And it's still feeling like Star Wars. It, it 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 took a minute to grow on me because like the main theme sounded like it was trying to be Star. It was a Star Wars video game sound almost in some ways. Um, and then uh, your his, he's he's one of these guys. He's got great range because he does like the lighthearted fair. He does the jazzy kind of stuff that was in the Incredibles. He does the broad sweeping cinematic stuff that's in some of these bigger movies and that sort of thing. I I, I think he does a does a really good job. I enjoyed his Spider-Man stuff. He gave Spider-Man his own theme, but was not afraid to use um, the old Spider-Man uh, 66 version a little bit too, you know, he, especially in the second one he did that. But um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I, I don't know that he's the heir apparent to John Williams. I think that may come from, if he is, it's going to come a few years down the road. I'm not even sure how old a dude he is. 67. So, yeah, he's... Wow, he's that... I didn't realize he was that old. So, 67 to... He's 10 years older than me. He's 55. Um, how old was John Williams when he did... And I'm not... And I know that John Williams had more before Star Wars. I get that. I understand that. But, you know... And that wasn't his breakout. I'm not about to say that was his breakout deal. Um born in 1932 so he's 44 when he gets tapped to do star wars but on the heels of star wars he's doing superman and then of course he gets the whole star wars uh franchise thing as you walk through his his work um you know before he ever showed up he was doing some tv stuff a lot of jazzy kind of stuff um he had uh done some um some westerns and things um, let's see, let, let's kind of get here before Lost in Space. Uh, he did a few episodes of Lost in Space. He didn't compose the original, um, theme, but he, he, he did some composing for a few episodes of Lost in Space in the sixties. Uh, let's see. Um, just scrolling through here. Ooh, the Ghostbreakers TV movie. Don't know what that was about. We'll have to check that out later on. Let's open in new tab, find out what the ghost breaker was all about. Did an episode of Land of the Giants, but he was uncredited with that. Um, so uh, let's see what else. Tom Sawyer in 1973. And now we're getting into some more movie type stuff. The Earthquake, uh, The Sugarland Express, The Towering Inferno. And then, okay, Jaws. I would say Jaws is probably one of the bigger things that ended up happening here uh, for him in 75. Then Star Wars, On the Hills of Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, then he gets the music by credits for Jaws 2, though I don't think he composed the whole thing. Then Superman in 78, uh, Dracula in 79, 1941 in 79, Empire, Raiders, E.T., just a year after Raiders, Return of the Jedi, and Temple of Doom on the heels of those things in 83 and 84. Uh, amazing stories for the TV show. 
Space Camp is a, is one that people love. Witches of Eastwick is another one that people love. Um, the, the Born on the Fourth of July, of course, the indie movies, that sort of thing is there. Home Alone, Hook, JFK, Far and Away. Uh, it, it's it, Good Night. He even did some work on Gilligan's Island, Jurassic Park, of course, Schindler's List, uh, and and it just goes on and on, you know. And so what I'm saying is 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 you end up many, you know, there's a lot of composers going to do a lot of things that you don't know and haven't heard before they hit the things that really hit big. And, and people like John Williams who just get writing themes and, and, and structuring themes to go along with the story are, are few and far between. And I think Giacchino's knocking on that door. Um, but I do think Williams got there a little bit sooner. And it may be because he was not as, as hamstrung as some of these modern composers are. But what do I know? Nothing. I know nothing about music and that sort of thing. Ghostbreakers. A professor and his beautiful assistant investigate a murder which occurs in a supposedly haunted office building. Released on September 8th, 1967. Um, that's all we got. I wonder if this is available to watch anywhere. Has uh, Kerwin Matthews. No idea who that is. Diana Vandervillis, no idea who that is. Um, Michael Constantine, wow, Kevin McCarthy in an early role here. So, all right, I got to see if Ghostbreakers is available to watch anywhere now. By the way, the other night I was doing some stuff and I put on the Ghostbusters. We haven't talked about Ghostbusters Afterlife um, on the show, but we need to, but not right now. Um Ghostbreakers trailer. Here we go. Check out this verbal. Why do I have Why do I have ads going on right now? I'm sorry. The Ghostbreakers Incorporated. This is Bob. Bob Hope speaking. Yes, Paulette Goddard's a partner in this firm. What? You want me to send her around? Listen, if I could tell Paulette what to do, I wouldn't send her to your house. Sucker. You know, Bob I Hope. never knew there were so many ghosts roaming around loose until Paulette and I got into the Ghostbreakers. Believe me, the cat in the canary was a pink tea compared to this picture. It all starts on one terrible night. Basil Rathbone must be giving a party. That's the night that Paulette inherits a ghostly ancient castle off the ghost, I mean the coast of Cuba. The place is filled with mummies and spooks that walk at midnight. There are murders and death warnings planned to frighten. Now this is as Bob Hope. When I don't now we're in a whole new realm of things. Anyhow, I watched the the Ghostbusters with uh, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy. I just had it on, and I was just like, "Wow, this is." Look, I know that you're going to tell me that this is terrible. It's a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing, y'all. It wasn't that bad. I, I'm watching it, and I've kind of got it going. And I and I will stand by this. Okay, so the Bob Hope is from 1940. The Ghostbreakers from 1940. The Ghostbreakers TV movie is from 1967. And I wonder if the, I wonder if we can get that Ghostbreakers TV movie. And um, I, I will maintain this about that film. I, I think that the the big problem with that movie is that the 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 ladies who are in that movie are funnier than they're allowed to be in that movie. All right, this is that's from 1940. I don't want. What if I put 1967? 
1967. I don't know why I'm hung up on this whole Ghost Breakers thing now all of a sudden. Now that I know there's Bob Hope. Um, anyway, so but here's my point. I, I think that it got a bad, bad rap by a lot of people. I understand why there are some people who were not happy with, uh, what went on. I, I understand. I get that. I, I understand, um, the, the, the people who thought, well, this is just, you know, the gender swapping thing and all that stuff. That's look, that's, that's one of those things. But you can't deny that it is a cast of hilarious people in a movie that should have been a little bit funnier. Uh, the effects were fun. The things were good. I think they went. They tried to be a little too smart with some of the equipment and stuff they used. Uh, but I, you know, I just I found myself kind of like digging it. It, it was okay. So um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> remember when they used the score from Castaway for when Tony Stark died? Oh man, you're killing me. All right. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going I'm now going to shut up because wow we've been going and I have trailed off this is a classic hey I've been going too long and too late uh episode of um of the big honking show or the geek out loud so here's what I want to say to everyone as we uh as we as we wrap her up um email us geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com We've covered a lot of territory tonight. The next one won't be so long. I haven't talked the Obi-Wan trailer. I liked it for the most part. Um, really excited about a show about Inquisitors because that's what that trailer made it look like it was going to be to me. Um, do I trust the people in charge to do it? I, I guess. They're not batting a thousand. I'm, I'm going to be honest. They're not batting a thousand. So they're batting high. It's a high batting average. But they're not batting a thousand. So Obi-Wan is honestly a wait and see for me. Um, Moon Knight is going to be a wait and see. But I've been told that we'll be doing some Moon Knight reaction shows, which means I hope it's good. If it's not good, I'm just going to dip out and leave those guys to do it themselves. Because uh, I'm not going to, I, I can't just sit around and dog on a show that I'm not enjoying and, and won't keep watching a show that I'll enjoy. But I have hopes for it because I'm interested in the, new, in the Moon Knight character. I don't know a ton about him. And it looks like an interesting premise and an interesting show. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife took a long time to get to the good parts uh, I, I think that it's just like a wrestling show where maybe I've said this already I don't know <clears throat> but in wrestling you remember most people will come away from a wrestling show and depending on how the show ended is how they appreciated the show and I think a lot of people have a lot of goodwill for Ghostbusters Afterlife based on the last 20 minutes or so of that movie um I feel like it, it, it kind of drug. I feel like we didn't get to enjoy the characters or get sold on the characters the way they wanted us to. Um, however, I did like a lot of the characters or several of the characters could have done without some of the others. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, overall, good effort, good movie. I, I, I may, I would like to see more but I don't know how we would. And and I think that, you know what? That's what I wanted to talk about. All right, look, everyone, I'm not stopping anything, but I am going to say that recently uh, the, the point was made by Retro Blasting. I'll go ahead and say it's Retro. He doesn't mind me telling you who he is because he stands by his stuff. I don't know that I fully agree with everything that he has to say, but he makes an interesting point 
and he does it in his standard way you know like he he can he has he can be abrasive and i get that and look another here or there the point he makes is it's okay for some stories to end and not have to be told again and again and again i think ghostbusters may be one of those things i i don't fully agree with his whole point but i also see where he's coming from check it out if you're so inclined I would also direct you to some other great friends of the show. I want to direct you to Michael Mercy's uh, YouTube channel. He's got Bat Month going, and he's having a great time over there with a lot of fun Batman toys and collectibles. He didn't ask for that. I'm just sending you over that way. I want to send you over to Craftsman, Steady Crafting. He's doing some fun stuff with some animation and that sort of thing. I want to send you to Mark's Etsy shop, all the small things. Check him out at Etsy. Go to Etsy.com and look for Mark All's All the Small Things. He's got some great things to help you display your collectibles and stuff there at all the small things etsy i want to direct you to the patreon patreon.com slash geek out loud go to geekoutonline.com or geekoutpodcast.com use the amazon links there to uh do your shopping at amazon it helps us out tremendously when you do so uh you don't pay any more it just kind of we get a little bit of kickback on that there's a youtube channel geek out loud youtube a lot of stuff from chewy's cantina happening there go be part of the canteen if you're into toy collecting geekoutonline.com slash cantina will take you there and our friend Lucas will let you in. Hopefully there's more coming quicker sooner than later and uh, I appreciate everyone who's joined us live at mixer.com slash goliverse until next time and even beyond. I'm Steve Glosson and we'll see you on Geek Out Loud. Have a good one everybody. Mm-hmm.